You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. We're in this third week of our sermon series about uh, Timothy. <laughs> That's not Timothy. But man, how great is that? Um, but we're in our third week about Timothy, and, and the title of this message this morning now, remember, I, I was in Charleston. At, we left Tuesday afternoon. The title of the message this morning is Disappointment. So all this week, all this week, every game we went to, I was like, Lord, I don't know. I, I know the sermon's on disappointment, but can you just, can you just let us get through one more? And, uh, and I thought about it, um, and, and, you know, you, you get in all these feelings and, and stuff last year, but um, there was disappointment there. For my seniors last year, for our season not to to get cut short, and even our shirts this year said 2020, this is for you, Um, and those guys had to be disappointed that they didn't have a chance uh, to get there, Um, but to see how our community wrapped around those kids, they were in the parade last night with us. I don't know if you all saw them, Um, so God's good, and he was going to be good even if we lost, you know, Uh, that's, that's the God that we serve, so at this time, the teens are... Uh, dismissed, and, and, and uh, you guys can go and get a better message than disappointment, all right? And so, so what we're going to go through this morning. <clears throat> isn't that just awesome? <laughs> I mean, isn't that just awesome to see all these people? These are our teens, you know, moms, I hope. I hope out there all the moms are enjoying their day. Hope the ones that can't be with us, happy Mother's Day to you all. And, um, you know, it's just, it's exciting. This is an exciting day uh, for mothers and for the ladies here at the church. And you're going to see that uh, even in our message today, that the, this man that we've been studying, Timothy, he's a product of faith, but it really comes from faith. In the Bible, it mentions his mother and grandmother, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Uh, you see, we have a young man, and he's trying to faithfully live out what God would want for him in the life of his, of his life and, and being used uh, by God as a, uh, as a young minister, young preacher. The Apostle Paul's his mentor, um, and because he had a good reputation and willingness to do whatever it takes, he became more useful in the Lord and his kingdom. Timothy answered his calling that God set out before him. And not long into the, to the journey, Paul's team experienced such persecution of the Jews at Thessalonica that we talked about last week. The Jews pushed Paul out of that town. But there, um, uh, about 50 miles away, they, they were so upset at Paul, they followed him to Berea where Paul went, and they were still trying to say, don't listen to this guy. But Paul built trust in this young minister named Timothy. And he left, he left him in Thessalonica when we left the story last week. And there he was there to strengthen the churches because Paul trusted him. You know, um, there is going to be basketball talked about today. There's just no way around it. But uh, we got down 1911 yesterday, and I bet some of you had a, a feeling in your stomach, but you know what? I didn't. Because I trust my guys. I knew, I knew that they will keep playing defense. I knew that they would do what they've been taught to do. 
and I knew they would do it for each other. And, uh, it, and it's, it's just like Paul's faith that he had in Timothy. I just knew in my heart that these kids wouldn't roll over and quit. And that's how Paul viewed Timothy. He's not a quitter. He wouldn't stop. And so this morning, we're, we continue to have this big question that we continue to ask, and it's on our slide this morning. It says, how can I become more useful to the Lord and the work in his kingdom? You know, I, I think, Timothy, you know, when you're young, you, you ask yourself like that. You know, you set goals. You set dreams and visions of what you want to see and accomplish. And, and you know, as you grow older, and maybe some of those goals are checked off, and maybe some of them aren't. Um, that's why it's so powerful in the gospel message in the book of Acts, where it says that the old men will dream dreams and young men would see visions. When it's talking about when, when Jesus's message would be preached to the Gentiles and to the Jews and people could have a saving relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the things that's so awesome about that is that it talks about the young and the old dreaming. And, uh, that's probably as excited as, as that's what I'm so excited for our community. You know, it, it, it's basketball, I know. But did you see the young and the old, whether they were in Charleston or standing in the streets in Beaver? They were dreaming dreams. I mean, this, this, this last year, can we just be honest? It's been difficult, right? Can I, can I use this word? It sucked <laughs> with this pandemic and all those things. But just to be able to give something for a community to celebrate, how great was that? And, 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 you know, how great that feeling is, it's even greater with the Lord. Because in our lives, we're going to have disappointments. Not everything's going to go our way. You know, before we won the state championship, we lost five others. <laughs> we never got there. You know, so I, I think that's it's a valuable lesson in how life works. And here, what we're going to see today is that wherever you are in your journey of faith and wherever you're already serving, God can use you in a greater capacity in the work for his kingdom. There's no better time to, than now to surrender your life to Christ and to be able to ask him what things are in your way from becoming the person that God can most use in, 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 in his work for Jesus Christ. Now, since today is Mother's Day, I want to remind you how important Timothy's mother was to his faith. In the book of 2 Timothy, we'll cover more thoroughly at the end of the series, Paul highlights this importance, and he writes this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, he says, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and now in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. You know, you can have influence on, on young people's lives in, in, in a variety of ways. Some you can influence to the right way, and some you can even influence to the bad way. But here's the thing that's so impressive to me about, about Lois and Eunice. They poured into Timothy. And see, when Paul came around and that spot opened for Timothy to go on the missionary journey with the Apostle Paul, it was all the preparation to get there. And yes, you're going to get basketball stuff today. But that state championship wasn't won Saturday or Friday or Tuesday or Wednesday when we played. That state championship was won from December and November, and it was won five or six years ago from those kids being instilled the right way to play the game. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is that 
you got to have a long-range vision because when you think of eternity, <laughs> it's, it's a long-range vision. And so being faithful to God in worship, being faithful to God in your tithes and your offerings, being faithful to God in your prayer life and your daily walk with him, and being able to pour into others, you know, that's one of the things that we got robbed of with COVID. We were just getting ready to start launching small groups here at the church. And we'll get through this summer, and Lord willing, then the fall we'll relaunch our small groups. And being able to spend time with each other, as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, that's the kind of grit and that's the kind of dedication it takes to have a long-term vision and a walk with Jesus. Let me tell you something. Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon. All right? And if you're in it for the sprint and to get stuff immediately for instant gratification, which is the way our society works right now, think about it. That's exactly what we want. If I'm unhappy, I'll get happy. You know? You know, think about, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> you know, without Amazon, we had more money. <laughs> Let's just be honest about that. And, and if we wanted something, we just couldn't push a button and it'd show up in three to five days. Or if you're a Prime member, you get it quicker. You see what I'm saying? That's not the way it works with Jesus. There's going to be mountaintops and there's going to be valleys. And you know what? He's with you each and every step of the way. You got to have the faith and trust to get there. You know, when we look at Timothy's life, we look at the faith of his mother and his grandmother. And as mentioned, he was influenced. And we don't know a whole lot about Timothy's mother but other, evidently, she had such an influence on his life, it changed his course. Abraham Lincoln once said, all that I am and all that I hope to, to be, I owe to my angel mother. That's how Abraham Lincoln viewed his mother. And most, it must have been how Timothy felt. And it wasn't early on only from Eunice. It also came from his grandmother, Lois. Grandparents, you have such a powerful role to play here. So thank you, moms and grandmoms, and everyone who puts in the time and the effort spiritually into the lives of your children and your grandchildren. It doesn't go unnoticed. But now today, as we move farther into Timothy's life, we'll pick up the story in Acts chapter 18. And we're going to be talking about disappointment. <laughs> you know, you may have the wrong preacher to talk to you today about disappointment, all right? But like I said, we've been there. I, I've been there not only on a basketball field, I've been there in ministry, I've been in there days when I want to throw in the towel, I've been in there times when I felt like people I really knew and loved and cared about and loved and cared about me turned their backs on me. I've been there as a husband <laughs> that sometimes that I'm not the best husband and I know I disappointed my wife. I've been there as a father when I've tried to live up to the expectations and the calling that God has for me, and I know I've let my kids down. I've been there as a friend to some of the best friends I've had of lifelong friends, and I know I've hurt them and I've disappointed them. So I can talk to you a little bit about disappointment, and for honest, we all can talk to each other about disappointment, can't we? So today, I, I want to remind you that the key to our future usefulness in God's work in his kingdom is not what happens to us, but it's going to be how we respond to what happens to us. Can I say that again? I think it's on the screen behind me, isn't it? Listen, 
The key to our future usefulness for God is in the work in his kingdom is not what happened to me, but it's how we respond to what has happened to us. And I think that's what we need to do with disappointment. You know, I think that's exactly what we need to do when it comes to that. So let me recap a little bit about this journey. In Acts 17, Paul and his team rushed out of Thessalonica, remember? And they had to go down to Berea under the cover of darkness when the Jewish haters kept following them. Paul was rushed out of there, even into Athens. Timothy and Silas, the Bible tells us, stayed there to strengthen and encourage the church. The rest of Acts 17 includes the story about Paul and the great Greek city of Athens sharing the gospel with the Greek teachers and philosophers like Socrates. I'm sorry, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'm that kid. Do you all remember Bill and Ted's Excellent? All right, I just dated myself. The kids will have to Google that, all right? But, uh, but all the Greek philosophers, they'd sit around and talk about these philosophies, and Paul went there um, on Mars Hill and delivered probably his most eloquent sermon that's recorded in the Bible, and he, he convinced a lot of people that they were worshiping an unknown God, and he said, look, you can know God. You can know him personally. Let me tell you about Jesus. And we know at that moment, Timothy was not with him when Paul preached it. So now we get to Acts chapter 18, and we see Paul left Athens and went to a city called Corinth. And here's the account of, the, of his visit here. We know that Paul planted in the city because they have two longer books in the New Testament, and Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians. Now in Corinth, it was considered in the New Testament time to be the Las Vegas of biblical times. It was a wild place, even much more wild than Vegas if you've ever been there. Well, let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 18, 1 through 4, and here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, uh, a native of Pontius, and who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them, and every Sabbath day he went and reasoned with this in the synagogue to try to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul's back to his normal custom of preaching in the synagogue. While in Corinth, he met a powerful couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They were two tent makers, as Paul was by trade. So he joined them during the week, and he preached every Saturday, testifying that, that to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He did this for several weeks, and in verse 5, we read that Timothy and Silas finally caught up with him. Evidently, they showed him and brought money uh, for, to the churches and encouraged him why Paul was to preach full time. But in verse six, notice what happens. Once again, they get opposition from the Jews. Look what the word of the Lord says this morning. But when they were opposed, Paul became abusive and he shook out his clothes and protested to the Jews. And he says, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. So while he was preaching in the synagogue, they, they, they weren't listening to what Paul was saying, and he gets downright upset. You know, I, you all that have followed our basketball team for a little while, you, you know that uh, our head coach is a little passionate about the game, don't you? And he's got some of the best facial expressions I've ever seen during basketball games, and they're not always pretty, you know, uh, and we're passionate about it too. Um, but he can get downright belligerent. Well, here's how mad Paul got. 
He said, that's it. <laughs> I'm done with you guys. Your, your blood's on your hands. I've tried to reason with you from the scriptures and point out that Jesus is the long way to Messiah, and you're not having it? Fine. I'll go and talk to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, I'm looking around. Most of us are Gentiles. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God used even that disappointment? How disappointed was it for Paul that his own people wouldn't accept his preaching and his teaching? And so God used him to preach to the Gentiles. So here's where Paul moved the focus of the ministry to the Gentiles exclusively. He went to the, next to the house of a man named Titus Justice, and he set up a preaching platform. Luke tells us in verse 8 that Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who had heard Paul's message were believed and were baptized. So Paul was becoming very effective, but it seems like he had decided it was time to move on from there, and something happened that he made him stay a little longer. Look down in verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to him in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on preaching, do not be silent, for I am with you, for there is no one going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. That's a long time for the apostle Paul, who moved around a lot. You know, a lot of people wonder what you call me. Are you Pastor Russ? Are you Preacher Russ? What do you call me, you know? I always say, some people say, well, are you an evangelist? I said, no, I'm not an evangelist. I said, why not? And I said, I don't have seven good sermons in a fast car. I mean, basically, <laughs> that's, you know, I'm sorry, that's a bad joke. <laughs> but I mean, when, you know, when, how many of y'all remember revivals? <laughs> You're right. And then when the revival preacher came in, they always had seven good sermons and they were moving on to the next town. A lot was like that with the Apostle Paul. But here he stays 18 months. And there's a reason he has to stay 18 months in Sin City. <laughs> You're going to find out as we go through Scripture here. And so Timothy and Silas were with Paul during this time, and they were both working hard to support the evangelistic work for Paul. But we also know both of them were doing some preaching too. In the book of 2 Corinthians 1.19, Paul writes, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preaching among uh, you by us. Well, who's the us? By me, Silas, and Timothy. Paul didn't have a mouse in his pocket. He's talking about the other preachers who were preaching. And in 1 Corinthians 1.14, Paul said that he did not do many baptisms there and that we can assume Silas and Timothy were the ones who were probably baptizing people as they followed up in the preaching and the teaching of Paul during those 18 months. You can read in verses 12 to 17 that some of the Jewish leaders were still trying to persecute the believers, but Paul got a haircut and he decided to ditch the 70s and go bald like you know, that is now beautiful and popular, you know? Uh, I just think, I looked around, there was more bald referees and coaches. I don't know what that meant at the state tournament than I'd ever seen before, you know? Plus, we had to cut a few good mullets, all right, at the state tournament year for this year. So it, it was an exciting uh, thing. But, he, but, he, but Paul takes this vow and he cuts his hair, but he left without fully explaining his message. And he promised to come back, which he would later, but evidently he leaves um, Corinth to go back to Jerusalem and Antioch where they first started the journey. Now, it was sometime after this that Paul received a letter from the church in Corinth. And we know this because in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, now for the matters you wrote about. They had many questions and concerns. The letter revealed some disturbing beliefs that were being practiced by the early church. Around the same time, Paul had some friends 
from Chloe's household, one, and you can see this in verse 111, in Corinth, who visited and confirmed the disturbing news. Maybe, maybe they carried these letters back from Paul. The disturbing news prompted Paul to do two things, and here's what he did. First, he wrote the letter, 1 Corinthians, and guess what he did after this? He sent the guy he trusted to Corinth. And who is that guy? Timothy. And Timothy had been successful in Thessalonica. And Paul tapped him to serve again at this church. But then they would soon discover that in Corinth and Thessalonica were very different. The Thessalonians accepted Timothy in his message. But the church in Corinth did not. And maybe it was due to his age. Maybe it was due to his lack of experience. Maybe it was due to the fact that they knew that he did become circumcised and maybe they were um, Gentile believers. Remember, that's who Paul was preaching to in Corinth. And they, maybe they kind of uh, shunned him and say, well, you're, you, you, you want to follow the Jewish customs and, or why would you get circumcised? Whatever the cause or the reason, this young minister who had been successful in Thessalonica is no longer successful in Corinth. And let me tell you something. When you see young people go through disappointment, let down, nothing breaks your heart more, does it? I mean, seriously, you could come up here. No, not you. <laughs> Some of you could come up here and slap me in the face. Not you, all right? Because he'd take me out and I'd just lay down, all right? And you could hurt me, but watch my kids hurt. Nothing breaks your heart more than that as a parent, does it? Let me let you in a little secret. When God sees us go through disappointment, his heart breaks for us because we're his children. And so Timothy is going through discouragement. If you study the New Testament, I'm just going to briefly touch on these real quick, real quickly, especially the letters of Paul. You probably remember that the Corinthian church had a lot of issues. It made Jerry Springer, <laughs> never mind. Anyways, they had a lot going on there, all right? In fact, in chapter one, we read that they had division and that the divisions were caused by people's personalities. You know, people were saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. The, or, that church was divided. It wasn't unified. They also had problems with pride. You read in uh, chapter four, verse seven, we read that they had spiritual pride. There was distrust. Chapter four, verse, uh, chapter four through chapter 10, they, they didn't trust who was leading the church. They had church discipline issues. In chapter five, we see that they had failure to exercise church discipline. They had a man who was sleeping with his stepmother and they didn't do anything about it. I told you, it made Jerry Springer look kind of calm. In chapter 6, they were suing each other. They were having lawsuits amongst each other. Paul says, you're going outside of the church where you should be able to handle a disputable matter? He said, what's that look like on the church when they see two Christians suing each other? They had purity problems in life and relationships. In chapter 7, they had all kinds of problems in understanding what God's design for marriage was and also how, how did you live to be a single person? In chapters 8 through 10, they had Christian freedom issues. In chapters 11 through 12, they couldn't even get worship right. They were having issues in worship. They had internal perspective issues. They didn't understand what eternity was going to look like. In chapter 15 through 2 Corinthians, 
We see that they lost their eternal perspective. That's a big one. Once you lose your eternal perspective, you open up the door to a lot of problems. And also in chapter 16, they had giving problems. They were reluctant to give up their, their treasures. Evidently, in Acts chapter, I mean in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, they weren't giving like they should, and so they weren't doing it every week. And so if you look in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you'll see a longer treatment for their giving and generosity than he wanted to be able to learn. So we have at least 10 major issues going on in this church. And you got a young minister. I don't know about you all, but have you ever seen division in a church? It's ugly. And you, everybody walks in and they feel tension. You know, some people that are sick and twisted walk in and bring a bag, bag of popcorn to watch the show. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, we know. But... Uh, but, but understand what I'm saying is it's not a comfortable feeling. How many of you all, you don't have to raise your hand on this, grew up in a family that had tension and division? Don't raise your hand on that. You know what I'm saying? You kind of walk around like you're on, on treat each other with kid gloves, and everybody's kind of tiptoeing around each other because you don't want somebody to go off. Listen, division's a bad deal. That's why Jesus said it this way, a house divided cannot Stand. Whether it's in your own home, whether it's on a basketball team, whether it's in a church. That was a big deal. First Corinthians 4.17, listen to what the word of the Lord says. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. See how Paul feels about this church? Even though if, you, if I had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy, my son who I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach everywhere in every church. Like he did for the Thessalonian church, Paul trusted Timothy to be able to go in and carry on the work. Paul must have gotten word that the believers were not treating Timothy fairly. And he, got, he became passionate about their indifference towards him. So read in 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 11, Paul wrote this. When Timothy comes, see that nothing, he has nothing to fear when he's with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am, and no one should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way and prepare so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Paul knew that there was issues that they weren't getting along with Timothy. In fact, that language in the Greek language here, Paul's kind of fearful for his life. Now think about that. He, he sent Timothy to the Thessalonian church, and, and Timothy did a great job as a young minister. He sends him to Corinth, and there's so much discord and problems in the church, he's kind of fearful for Timothy's life. Some of you are saying, I, I need to go to that church, see what that was like. But some of you say, man, there's, I wouldn't want nothing a part of that. You know, I heard of Mike Templeton told a story a long time ago when he first started ministering in Kentucky that two leaders got into a fist fight at the board meeting of the church. He said they were rolling on the floor and the other deacons and elders were pulling him off each other. I joke and tell the story of the first board meeting I ever went to Grandview Christian Church. I walk in and I'm 24 years old and uh, they... Uh, Dave Wills 
and Rod Hedrick had just went to a concealed weapons permit class, and I didn't know this, so I walk in, and on the table, I'm the third one there, those two guys got there before I did, there's two pistols. And I walk in, I said, boys, if this is how we do church meetings here, this is my last one, all right? I, I love the Lord, but I, and we ain't throwing them down like that. And uh, there's another great story. I'm going to go ahead and tell that story. Some of you will hear this. And they said, Russ, and they're dying laughing. They said, we just came from this concealed weapon permit class and said, we were the only two sober people there. Because he said, before the class started, there was a bunch of coal miners that stopped off of the local watering shed. <laughs> and they were in there with them. And, and, the, and the instructor's like, okay, it's midnight. And you hear the glass break in your window. And you hear somebody come up your steps. And they open up your bedroom door. What do you do? And he goes, I grab my, my, I grab my gun and I pour it on. And he said, well, good. And he said, this time it's a mass murder. And he's come to kill you and your family. He said, now two years later, you get the same scenario. Glass breaks. You hear footsteps coming up. He said, what do you do this time? He said, I grab my gun again and pour it on. <laughs> he said, this time it's your daughter. And she came in late, and she didn't have a key, and she was trying to sneak into your house. And he said, and one of the old boys said, ah, it's all right, I got five more. That's unbelievable to me. But I can totally see that happening. Listen, division in the church is never good. So now we read that Timothy survived this mission, and he did get reunited with Paul because in 2 Corinthians 1.1, we read his name in the opening. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth. So that's the second letter that he wrote. So we're not given any details when Paul writes the second letter to Timothy, but again, who was with him in Corinth? It wasn't Timothy, but another young preacher named Titus. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 6. So we urge Titus just as he did earlier and made a beginning to bring also a completion of the act of grace on your part. Or look at verses 16 and 18 in the same chapter. He says this, Thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus the same concern for you, that I have for you. For not only Titus, not only, let me read this right, for Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on our own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who was praised by all the churches for the service of the gospel. Paul, for whatever reason we don't know, had to replace Timothy with Titus. Now, how do you think Timothy felt being in the kingdom of God? You know, it's not, it's not just walking with Jesus when it's easy. It's walking with Jesus when you get smacked down. And it's not how many times you get smacked down, it's how many times you guess what? You get up. And Timothy could have packed it in and said, well, that's it. I'm, I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good minister. I think I'll just go home to mama. Nope. That's not what Timothy did. And there's lessons that I want you to take with you today. And if you can just stick with me just a few more minutes let me give you a couple of takeaways today, okay? They didn't respect him. They wouldn't listen to him. So you know what Paul told him in 1 Timothy 4.12? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Paul's not chastising Timothy. You know what he's doing right there? He's building him up. He's building him up. And maybe you've been there. What do you do when you experience failure and disappointment? What do you do? Number one, you keep serving. 
You don't quit. In the greeting to 2 Corinthians, Paul refers Timothy as our brother. He says, Timothy came back from Corinth and says, how can I be used now by God? Maybe it didn't work for me in, in Corinth, but he said he was looking for his next assignment. He was looking for his next place to serve. And maybe you failed in your life. Maybe you feel like you failed in your marriage or in your job or in your ministry. What do you do now? You keep serving. Listen to me when I say this. You should never confuse your calling with one assignment. Can I say that again? Never confuse your calling with one assignment. Failure or disappointment in one assignment does not negate the call of God in your life. Maybe you have failed and maybe you failed royally. But don't you see that in Scripture? That when we're broken by life and our own mistakes, God can put back the pieces and make us put back together and be even more useful for God? If you don't understand this, let me tell you about a guy named David. David, one afternoon, looked out in his kingdom and all the accomplishments and God had blessed, and there was a lady taking a bath on top of a roof. It caught his eye. I don't know if her real name was Bathsheba. Maybe that's just what he called her. I don't know. But it caught his eye to the degree that he desired her, even though he was married and she was married, and they committed adultery. And she became pregnant. And David thought her husband, Uriah, was one of the military soldiers in his army, a commander. And David thought he'd cover up, and he knew they were going into battle. And so he put Uriah on the front line so he'd know he'd die. And during that day, there was a prophet named Nathan. And one day in the kingdom, Nathan came and told the exact story of what had happened because God had revealed it to him. And David said, may God deal so ever so harshly with the man who did this. And Nathan looked right at him and said, you're the man. It's in our Bible. And as a result of that, the son that she bore ended up passing away. And you know what? We read Psalms like Psalm 51, a psalm referred to as a psalm of David where he asked God to create in him a new heart and to recreate a new and steadfast spirit inside of him. It's a great psalm. And you know what? The Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart, even after all this stuff took place. Because no matter how much you fail or how much you disappoint God or how far you think you've walked away from him, God loves you. He desires for you. He runs after you. Read about the prodigal son. God is there for you to pick up the pieces and to put you back together and say, I am not finished with you yet. That's the God we've come to worship today. He's not going to give up on you, even if you feel like you've given up on yourself. And here's the second way to respond. So number one, you keep serving. You keep worshiping. Don't, don't throw in the towel. And secondly, I want to encourage you on this. Lean hard into Jesus. That's how you deal with failure and disappointment. You lean hard into Jesus. What's that mean? When failure and disappointment is in your life, you keep leaning into the Lord. You, we, we, he knows that you're weak. 
Maybe it took that failure to prove it to yourself, but God is your refuge. When we are weak, he is strong. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Here's what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we've experienced in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we are despaired of life itself. Man, Paul's really down there. Indeed, we have felt we've received the sentence of death. But this has happened, not by our might to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Wow, that's powerful stuff. Paul says, I feel like I got a death sentence. And he says, I think it's being done to my life so I can see that I'm not relying on my own power. I'm relying on the power of God who has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to split the Red Sea. He has the power to bring his own son back to life. Friends, there is nothing you're going through that God cannot raise from the dead. So many times in our life, we get to the point where we can't see our way through. Basketball time again. You know why when we were down 1911, I knew we were going to win? Not one head was down in that timeout we called. Not one kid was, like, scared. All eyes were on coach. All eyes were on each other. And I knew right then the game was ours. And that other team didn't know what was got ready to hit them. Because they were down, but they weren't out. You might be down this morning. I know Mother's Days might be hard for some of you all. But you're not out. Paul had experienced so much of disappointment. But listen to what he says, and this verse reigns supreme in my life. You know what Paul says to Timothy, what he says to the church there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed three times for the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh, So many people have speculated what that was. Some people said he had bad eyesight. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe Paul and David had the same problem when it came to ladies. Paul was single all of his life. I don't know what Paul's temptation was. But you know what? He prayed three times for the Lord to take it away, and the Lord said no to him. I'm not going to take it away from you because my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So when you're down and you're out and you're in despair and you feel like no one cares, not even God himself doesn't care about you, understand that you may be going through this valley because God's grace is sufficient. It's all you'll ever need. His power is perfect. And he will bring you in your moments of your weakness if you will turn your heart over to him and people will see the glory of God in your life. It's easy to show the glory of God when you win a state championship. Woo, praise God, praise God. But you know what? I would be here this morning preaching the exact same message, praising my Savior, lifting my hands in worship, meeting around the Lord's table, offering my tithes and offerings to God, even if we would have lost that game yesterday. You know why? Because my God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness, and that's when we need to celebrate it all all the more because no one can say, well, that's done by human achievement. No, it's done by the power and the grace of God. We need this message 
We've all been disappointed. You know why we love our mamas so much? Because mamas have the abilities to overlook our, our failures. And when I think of somebody who's in prison for whatever crime they committed, whether it's a, a man or a woman, each one of those people in prison had a mother. And each one of those people had someone to nurture them. Maybe some didn't, but you cannot say they didn't have a mother. It's only one way that it can happen. And mamas have the ability to overlook our failures. Thank you, mom, for overlooking my failure. But aren't you even more thankful this day for the amazing grace of God who can overlook our failures? You know what grace means, don't you? There's a little acrostic for grace. G R A. C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches that we receive at Christ's expense. Jesus took our sin. He took our failures. He took our shortcomings, and he took them on the cross of Calvary and said, look, I've got this. And now, because I put my faith and trust in what Christ has done for me, you know what that means? I get God's riches. And let me tell you something. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But I will praise him for eternity for what he's done for me. And you may feel like this morning you don't deserve it. That's when you learn to lean in hard on Jesus. Maybe you don't feel useful because of something that's going on in your life. You keep serving. And maybe this morning, when I pray, you finally say yes to Jesus. And you come. And you give your life to him. Or maybe this morning when I pray, you come and rededicate your life because you know you've kind of thrown in the towel here recently. But it's God's riches that Christ expends. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for this message. And Lord, I... I confessed to the church that I was sitting there thinking about this message all this week and going, oh no. <laughs> this is going to come in a loss of a basketball game. And Lord, it wasn't that at all. By your grace, you allowed our boys to experience something that's never been done here in this part. And we give you praise for it. God, I, you know my heart. I would have been here this morning praising your name if we would have lost when we were in Charleston. Because why? Because you're worthy of it. And I've seen there times in my own ministry, in my own marriage, with my friends and being around my kids that there's been times that I failed and I haven't met 
the bar. I've missed the mark. But God, you've been there. And even when times I wanted to turn from you and I was ashamed, you just kept pursuing me. And I learned to lean in hard on Jesus when times when I don't feel like I can get up and take another step. And God, I've kept serving in some capacity. I, I wanted to get the attention off myself and my problems and my failures. And I wanted to be able to serve you and somehow so that somebody could see Jesus in my life. And I thank you for the people that you put around me that helped me not only to feel that, but to know that. So God, I don't know where everybody's at today. I don't know where they're at at the house. I don't know where they're at sitting in these chairs. But if they need to know that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in weakness, after we pray, let them come. and Let them experience you. I pray this in Jesus' holy name and all God's people say. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.